Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to episode 26 of Bell to Bell, Bobby Blaze, coming to you from the Greensboro Coliseum. I am Jeremy P.S. Vilmer, and joining us now is Bobby Bam Bam Blaze. What's happening, Bobby? Ah, uh, man, you know what's happening. It's been too long since I've talked to you, my good friend. A lot of things going on, but it's all working out. Just like Freebird Nation, baby, we're going to come out on top. So we've got a great, great topic today. You know, we've had 25, what I consider, really good episodes, and here we are breaking to new ground with number 26 we're going to do. And we could have done a lot of these, but we're going to do the top 10 territories from back in the day. Man, we're going to go over some, give some honorable mentions, shout-outs, and this and that. But, yeah, it's just good to be back on here. As you know, uh, life happens, and, uh, you know, they come along. But you know what? Tough times don't last. Tough people do, and we're tough people, baby. You tell them, P.S. <laughs> That's right. You can either keep paddling or lay down and die. There you go, man. But we are back here with episode 26, slamming the steel cage door on the wrestling podcast world. We are going to be talking about the 10 greatest territories from back in the day, but before we do that, I know word is out a little bit, but uh, the trademark office received some paperwork from what I believe is the Young Bucks and Cody Rhodes filing logos, names, paperwork, etc., to start trademarking and copywriting all the information to go into All Elite Wrestling, a new promotion they're going to be launching in 2019. That is awesome. Awesome. And I wish them the best of luck. That should be that should be really cool. Hopefully we'll see the NWA titles going through there. I have to tell you, Bobby, I have not warmed up that new national title belt. I love the champion they put it on. I just don't care for the belt. When I saw it, I was a little bit shocked looking at it, to be honest with you. You know, but here's the thing. Let me get back to that without talking too much about the belt. The thing is this. The thing I like is what you was mentioning with this alliance. Uh it's competition, man. It's mm-hmm. someone else out there. And that's what the that's what makes the world go round. When you're just one company out there you have no one to compete against, sometimes you don't try your best. But when you start putting these other uh companies out there and you start getting more and more uh not state could ever go back to the way it was or even to the uh Monday Night War era or whatever, but man, uh it just gives wrestling fans that many more options to watch something we love professional wrestling so i wish these guys the best of luck cody and the young bucks man good luck and what was the name of it again all elite wrestling all elite oh, i wish them nothing but the best of luck and much much success in the future that's great great news thanks for sharing that with us yeah that's that's really good stuff well bobby before we get into our top 10 list why don't you give us some of your shout outs yeah, well, I've got a couple shout-outs here. So, I would not be on here right now. I may have to be speaking to Jeremy on my phone versus speaking to him the way we normally record through his unique uh, recording system that he has. And that goes out to William Harding, man, the Sugar Hold King. i got to put my first shout-out to him. He's at, he's at W-H-A-R-D-I-N-G. Capital KY, William Harding, Kentucky, or W. Harding, Kentucky. Bill, buddy, I had a great visit with you. He came up to my home. He saw me just posting that the show may be a little bit late this week. Uh, my computer pretty much crashed. I mean, it was it was beyond repair. I put a little tweet out stating that, uh, bear with us, this week's show, Jeremy and I had kind of been DM each other what we may have to do in order to... Um, to get the show up one time. Then an hour or so, I got a DM from Bill, William, and he said, uh, 
sent me some pictures. I sent him a couple pictures of what the computer looked like. And uh, he said, yeah, it's definitely, and uh, you definitely need some help. Let's get you back up and on the air, ASAP. What are you doing tomorrow? And I was like, are you kidding me? He's like, no, I'm not. And I said, uh, I'm going to be here all day. And he goes, what time? And I said, you tell me what time. And a few minutes later, popped up and said, I'll be there at noon. And he spent from noon till five with me, had a great visit, <clears throat> got me a, a laptop that he had been working on, kind of rebuilt. But uh, man, it's awful nice. It's been working just fine. And I really appreciate that. So I have to give him a huge shout out. And I told him I would. And he's a sugar hole king. He tried to get me in the damn sugar hole standing in my living room. And I'm like, ah, I'm not. Ah, okay, okay. So we didn't get down on the floor and waddle around. But we showed each other. He showed me a nice chokehold that you could use for MMA. Uh, we just had a real nice conversation about just about everything from professional wrestling to computers to, to life in general, man. Because, uh, you know, he has a GoFundMe right now. And uh, I'd advise you, if you got an extra dime or two, man, help this man out because he went out of his way to help me out. And um, I've donated to it before, and I'm going to donate to it again. That's not to make myself look good. That's just because uh, I think he's very deserving of it. Uh, likewise, we have one, and he plugs our uh, GoFundMe all the time also. So uh, I appreciate that, uh, William. I just want to say thank you for the uh, computer, but more importantly, thank you for the friendship. Moving right along, I just want to send a quick shout-out to Nate and Tim from the uh, Wide Men Can't Jump Network. I was on their podcast for over the weekend for the NCAA football and NFL football predictions. Um, I probably got, you know, being the genius I am, I probably got about 99% of them wrong. But they're going to post the results on Monday. We'll see. But it was a fun <laughs> show to be on. I appreciate it. Nate really put us over. Um, you know, he does the closing. And fans of the show, he said he learned a lot, uh, I think, about Mae Young and some of the women, how we treated them. And we did talk some wrestling. And Tim's just a really super nice guy. TR wasn't on the show yesterday, but I do want to say – um, this will be my last shout-out. Um, do want to say happy birthday to Tom. Hey, Tommy, at TR Shock there. I'll just say happy 29th birthday and leave it at that. Um, <laughs> one, one, one day I'll come up to Philly and we'll hang out and we'll we'll get together. I think uh, uh, coming out to where Jeremy's at uh, in Modesto, California, or going to Philly up in uh, Pennsylvania would be a lot more exciting for me than asking you gentlemen, uh, Jeremy, coming to little old Ashland, Kentucky, or having uh, uh, TR come down here. But uh, we're going to have to have some kind of get-together soon. Uh, hell, we might have to do a cauliflower ear club or something like oh, that. Oh, that, that would know. be kind of cool, club. maybe, yeah. Uh, we're just developing a lot of good friendships on here. And the wide men, uh, they they actually pump our um, GoFundMe as well, and they put over our show as well. So, you know, on a Friday follow, I always put over several people, and I always make mention of uh, the Wide Men Can't Jump uh, podcast, uh, as well as the Geekish Cast podcast. As you know, I sent those out a couple of times. So that's my, um, man, you know, uh, Thanksgiving, um, we have things that we should be very thankful for even when we don't have things because I'm one of the people that try to think of what do I have not what don't I have but what I found out what I do have just in the last few days I have some really damn good friends that I've met either in person or through this podcast and um, 
man, that's a lot to be thankful for when you can just um, someone reaching out to you, uh, yourself included, uh, offering to make some suggestions on how to best get a laptop to me to to make this show work to uh, to the people at Wideman putting me on the show to William uh, uh, fixing me up a uh, very very nice. Uh, laptop and here we are man doing episode 26 and that's that so you go ahead and give your shout outs because uh man i'm i'm nothing but joy whether you can hear my voice or not i'm nothing but joy as far as uh being able to be back on the air and have our show going man yeah you know this week i'm going to kind of cheat a little bit um i've been really lax on promoting on twitter lately because i'm still getting used to working a completely different type of job than i'm used to I have never uh, been tied to a desk for eight hours a day. I've always been in a car or in, on a job site. And so I'm getting used to doing different things, and I don't want to be seen dicking around with my phone while I'm supposed to be doing something else. So I want to give a shout-out to everybody who uses the hashtag Potter and Family to promote their shows and to promote everybody else's. They do a lot of great stuff, helping get eyeballs on small podcasts that don't have other ways to get the word out. Um, you know, Bobby, you've gotten pretty familiar with them over the last year or so. Yeah. I, I used to use them quite a bit and I want to go back to using that hashtag more and more. So that is where I am throwing my shout out. Why don't we do this real quick? Why don't you tell everybody where they can find us on Twitter? Well, you know what? That's how I found you using that hashtag. Actually, that's how I found a Geekish Cast podcast. So you can follow Jeremy on Twitter at the Geekish Cast. You can follow me at BobbyBlaze744, and you can follow our joint account, which Jeremy takes care of for 99% of the time, and he's got over 1,600 followers. That's great, and that's the uh, Bell to Bell Blaze um, on Twitter. So get a hold of us either individually at the Geekish Cast or at BobbyBlaze744, or use the hashtag BBBB and go to the Bell to Bell Blaze um, on Twitter. Those are our uh, Twitter handles. There's also a YouTube group that um, YouTube. There's a YouTube page ran by Tex. Uh, he does some really good graphic stuff for us. And also, what I was trying to say is there's a good Facebook group that uh, Jeremy takes care of. That's a, is that a page and a and a group? Is that correct? Yeah, we have a page and a group on there. Okay, so good. Just find that by searching Bell to Bell Blaze or Bell to Bell with Bobby Blaze. You'll find it, either one of them. And I also want to remind everybody that this show is sponsored by Bobby's Books, which you can find by going to tinyurl.com slash blazebook1 to get Pin Me Pay Me. Or you can go to tinyurl.com slash blazebook2 to get I Kicked Out on 2, The Education of a Wrestler. So please read those books. Christmas is coming. If you have wrestling fans who want to see a little bit behind the curtains, or if you know people who were into wrestling during its last golden age of the 90s, of the Monday Night Wars in that period, and would like to see what the life of a wrestler was like, get those books, give them to your friends. Shit, use them to balance the legs on your table. This book will do everything. These books will do everything. <laughs> I know someone using one I'm right now. He told me that he's using it <laughs> to balance out one of the legs of his pinball machine. 
<laughs> I think Bob Cook down in Florida told me he was using it to hold up the leg on his Kiss pinball machine. It may have been an old magazine I was in, but uh, for you know, why, why let the truth stand away of good yarn? You know, I, I never it, knew. He, yeah, he was putting the book underneath her to keep the uh, the the leg of his uh, balanced out. His uh, I think he's probably using the really to leverage it so it wouldn't uh, tilt on him as easy. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. To get more points on his. Uh, Probably his evil. He's got an evil Knievel and a Kiss pinball machine. So he's using the pin me, pay me book uh, to balance out the leg to cheat on those machines. So buy the damn book. It's good for that. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's good for that. It's good for storytelling. You know, yeah. Bobby. With that said, I'm going to start us off on our list of the top ten greatest territories. I'm going to announce this one. Um, I noticed you put this on the list. I think maybe it could have been higher, but I think. You often balance your personal bias with your self-awareness of personal bias. So it comes in at number 10. Number 10 is Smoky Mountain Wrestling, as Bob Cottle used to say. Professional wrestling the way it used to be and the way you like it. Yes, the brainchild of Jim Cornette. And the pocketbook child of Rick Rubens. <laughs> yes, as we found out, yes. Yeah. That's correct. Um, yeah, you know, there could have been so many... Uh, if you go on, we, we sit each other list. I know we all kinds of things are out there. We talk about this on the internet all the time. I found a list of 25, you know, territories before the WWF took over everything, basically. And they mentioned several. Um, and we just, I come up top 10. I personally, I think it's probably higher too, but. Being biased, I, I wanted to be modest and, and, and biased towards some of the the other longer lasting uh, promotions. But Smoky Mountain Wrestling, you know, that's where I, Jim Cornette gave me my first big break in the U.S. Uh, the thing about Smoky Mountain Wrestling, you know, we ran um, home office was in Morristown and in Knoxville, Tennessee. Uh, that was the main two towns, along with um, uh, Morristown, Tennessee and um barbersville kentucky those were four towns we ran every month we had good tv coverage um we even had some satellite coverage we had um worked everywhere from you know freedom hall and uh to the in johnson city to uh, the uh, Knoxville civic coliseum to to small high school gyms we had towns like my hometown we ran every couple three months we had smaller towns i mentioned uh a couple of weeks back on my uh, 10 greatest matches that I enjoyed some of those small towns that just, you know, 12, 1500 people would be in a building, man, but they'd just be, you know, nothing but pure wrestling fans there to see. And it was one of the last regional, uh, if not the last regional wrestling office that still operated. And I will say this, and I'm very biased towards this and I'm very proud of this fact. I'm not saying things didn't happen. I'm not saying things Guys didn't get heated at each other, little things like that. But the best thing about Smoky Mountain Wrestling was the the morale in the back. We had, um, you know, you had Jim Cornette, we had uh, Mark Curtis and Sandy Scott, and just then we just had a whole crew of guys, and we had a good mixture of veterans working for us with some up and coming talent, including myself. And uh, man, the the fans were were fantastic. I know that sounds kind of crazy, but that they really were. They were fanatics, you know, about Smoky Mountain Wrestling because there was a kind of wrestling that, you know, you didn't see on your Monday nights anymore. You know, where the, the product had been changing for the last couple of years at that point. And, um, man, you know, Jim brought back something. 
and these towns needed uh, wrestling. They needed something to do for entertainment. You know, how, how most of these towns had high school football. You know, other like Knoxville and Johnson City, some of those bigger towns. A lot of smaller towns just had high school football, high school basketball. You know, in your high school sports, and that's about it. And uh, man, with Smoky Mountain come to town, man, you know, people knew we were in town. And it was just a fun, fun territory to work. Uh, we did shows in um, the Carolinas. We went down to North Carolina. We went over, all the way over to Georgia, did some shows down at the Cobb County Civic Center. We did uh, mostly Virginia, West Virginia, Kentucky. Um, didn't venture up into Ohio too much. We did some joint shows with uh, uh, Bobby Fulton up there, as well as some joint shows uh uh, down in some of the Carolinas with some different people too, but but yeah, mostly you know through Tennessee, Virginia, uh, the Carolinas, and Kentucky and West Virginia. Man, we just had a great little region, and um, it was just a really really good staff of people. Man, they had a good good staff. Uh, uh, the morale, I guess, and we had good angles, and um, people busted our ass. Um, I don't remember or recall too many people. Uh, ever saying no. Uh, seemed like, you know, everyone come in with a good attitude. We had our regular crew, you know, Rock and Roll Express, Dirty White Boy, Tracy Smothers, um, you know, Primetime Brian Lee, uh, myself, uh, and then they, and Killer Kyle, and then they brought in guys. A young Chris Candido come in, uh, uh, Terry Funk come in for a couple weeks, Cactus Jack came in for a couple weeks. Then, of course, some guys got their start there, you know, like the gangsters and, and some of the other people that, you know, worked their way up through there, um, came through that territory. So I, I could ramble on forever. I hear, uh, through his podcast, I think Cornette's got something in the works on a, uh, a book about Smoky Mountain Wrestling, and I, I sure hope that's the case because I'm looking forward to reading it when he does come out with it. But, yeah, so number 10 of the all-time greatest territories being biased, but, again, could have put it a little bit higher, uh, Smoky Mountain Wrestling. Yeah, you know, and uh, Smoky Mountain Wrestling, I, I do want to give a couple nods to because they really kept the tradition of Southern style pro wrestling alive in a period where you couldn't really get it anywhere else. WCW had abandoned it. USWA. Was this about the time that USWA was becoming formed? Yeah. So even Memphis was not what it had been. So you got more of that Southern brawling style. You got good guys versus bad guys. You got actual heat building where you wanted Jim Cornette to have to kiss somebody's feet. Uh, yeah. yeah, and, uh, you know, Bobby, obviously, too, too uh, modest to toot your own horn, you were their world champion where you beat Jerry Lawler and got the world cha- or not the world championship, but the promotional championship. And yeah. you and Chris Candido went back and forth on the American Junior Heavyweight Championship. Yes. So. And that, that was a beautiful title, by the way. It was beautiful. Yeah, it and really, it really was. It's hard to find good pictures of it, but it was a really nice yeah. looking belt. And we are in an era of ugly fucking belts, so I do appreciate <laughs> nice looking titles. Yeah, and I'm gonna add this. I don't think anyone will beat me at this point. I am, according to the Wikipedia page and according to everyone I talk to, I am the last and final beat the TV champ. So unless. 
lest they start up a Smoky Mountain Wrestling with Cornette at the helm again, which I don't see happening, and I don't see my ass getting back on TV to defend it. <laughs> I am the last of the TV champs to beat the champ, so uh, uh, I'll just throw it out there at you. But, yeah, yeah I worked my way up the card, um, and, you know, you listen to Cornette's podcast. He always puts me over in a good way, and I, put, I appreciate that so much. And, you know, he just started off as – as when he brought me in, what he saw, what he liked, and and how hard I worked and dedicated I was, and then, you know, he never set out to make me his champion. It's just that's the way it worked out. I, I worked my way into that position. You know, sometimes talent it rises to the top. So yeah, I, I'll go ahead and just say, you know, from working uh, the undercard to working up the third matches, to working for the junior heavyweight title and working for the TV title, to finally working to the, uh, the Smoky Mountain heavyweight title against Jerry King Lawler, you know. Um, yeah, what a, what a great honor to be a part of that organization, uh, one of the last, uh, the dying days of the territories, if you will. The Smoky Mountain Wrestling comes in at number 10. That's right. And then with number 9, we're going to go with Portland, or, you know, it's been through a number of changes, Portland, Pacific Northwest. What's funny is, as, re- as I was researching all of these, about 70% of them all use the name Big Time, which, of course, is a-, a warm spot for me because the pro wrestling out of San Francisco used to be called Big Time Wrestling, which came through Modesto, California back in the day. But number nine is Portland or Pacific Northwest Wrestling. I, I just want to throw a couple names out there, some of their big stars. Buddy Rose... Ed Wiskowski, Roddy Piper, Jesse Ventura, Lonnie Main, Jimmy Snuka, and Stan Stasiak all came out of that as their home territory. Yeah, yeah. And I was surprised, too, when I was reading that, because I saw, I didn't know what the one out of San Francisco was called, because I knew there was one out of L.A. and San Francisco, and I saw that it said the big-time uh, wrestling, and like you said, it kind of has a, a, a what you say, touches your heart. Uh, uh, in some way, mm-hmm. uh, Bobby Fulton at one time, his was known as, uh, you know, big time wrestling. Uh, and to me, it's one of those things I, I love hearing that too. There, how simple can it, where are you going tonight? I'm going to go see big time wrestling, yep. you know, or I'm going to say big time championship wrestling or whatever, but it's just one of those things, man. And I found that as well, that, you know, a lot of those had at one point, you know, used that as their, you know, Name, what are you? We're big-time wrestling, and <laughs> we're yep. coming to your area. <laughs> you know? My my uh, great-grandmother, who was from uh, the Indian Territories in Oklahoma, is where she was born back in the day, and she lived in this little tin shack over by the river here outside of Modesto when I was a little kid. And she'd sit in her wheelchair with her cane in her hand watching big-time wrestling on a, a you know a 9-inch black-and-white TV, smacking the top of the TV, peck his goddamn head! You peck his goddamn head! <laughs> oh, man, that's great. That's great, man. See, that's the kind of memories you like to hear. That, that's just it. But, yeah, Portland went through several name changes there, I guess, just little things. Uh, through They, you know, tried to redo it and when it officially, you know, closed or whatever, but... For a while, Portland was one of the uh, best territories, I guess, to go to. I don't know too much about the road to travel, how far and all that, but I just know when when I was breaking into the business, it was still a thriving uh, territory where guys were still trying to get booked at to get experience and oh, to yeah. make a living. Yeah, so, well, uh, apparently they paid their guys pretty well, and it looked to me, I was looking at the travel size, um, now, I live in California, which is, you know, it, it takes a day to drive north to south in California. Um, it looked to me like the Pacific Northwest Territory, 
just did like Portland and maybe up into southern Washington. It didn't really look like a very far territory you had to travel to work there. Yeah, that's what I'd heard. They um, the travel wasn't too bad. Um, you know, you got to go. I think most of the guys probably stayed in the Portland area. So uh, from what I remember from what Ron Starr had told me, because that's one of the areas he had worked at, uh, it wasn't bad travel, and the money was pretty good, you know. So uh, I think, you know, you could probably do your shot in two hours and come back. You know, you you might have had a, maybe an all-day trip here and there, but for the most part, you know, wherever you worked out of, you was back there by that night after the matches. So uh, that's always a plus in the territory. Yeah. Um, you know, the Pacific Northwest is kind of an odd area now, but people forget that back in the 70s and 80s, it was still really rural compared to what it is now. It's much more uh, metropolitan now than it used to be. So, you know, wrestling kind of had a tendency to take off in places that didn't have local pro sports teams and where there was a more working class background. And so it yeah. was just primed at the time for that. Um, I do have a bit of a bone to pick with it. It was it was an NWA affiliate for a long time, so there was an NWA uh Pacific Northwest champion there, and a few other titles would go through there. There is a little bit of a problem. Billy Jack Haynes used to wrestle out of there under the name Billy Jack, and even though the movies have aged poorly, Billy Jack was one of my heroes when I was a kid, so seeing kind of a a second-tier dude running around under that name, and then it turned out Tom Laughlin sued him for using it. Um, Oh, did he? Yeah, oh, yeah, that's why he had to go to Billy. He used to just call himself Billy Jack. Yeah, I knew he went just as Billy Jack. Yeah, and then he had to go to Billy Jack Haynes because Tom Laughlin sued him. Oh, no, I just thought because when he eventually turned up at uh, WWF for that first time, they just put that on him, the Haynes part. I didn't know that, though. Yeah. So he was sued because I like those Billy Jack movies, too, man. Oh, I just Uh, watched Born Losers again for the first time in 20 years. (laughs) It has not aged at all. Like, I was was, like looking around going, God, I hope nobody sees me watching this. Yeah, he took off in boots. Watch out, because someone's getting her ass kicked. Damn right. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, what are, we had to get back to the movies again one day. I think we got something planned on down the line for movies again. Uh, but that was fun during the uh, Halloween edition of the scary movies and horror movies and things. But yeah, good good recall on that too with uh, Billy Jack and Billy Jack Haynes. But again, see once again, students, you're learning from a professor over there. Uh, P.S. He's telling you like it is i did not know why billy jack had to go to billy jack haynes i just figured it's because that's what vince made him do you know so uh, (laughs) there you go so number nine was portland yep a hell of a territory with a hell of a a good group of people that worked there and and some longevity it stuck around longer than a lot of people realized as well yeah i looked at there was what was it uh at 40s they was doing shows is yeah, that correct they started they, they started they in the 40s 50s 60s 70s 80s all the way through yeah yeah and i guess there's still some version of it now kicking around i don't know if it's directly affiliated or not but there is still a pacific northwest wrestling running out of portland yeah i, I saw that as well yeah i saw that as well so anyway check them out if you get a chance uh, let us know what you think about it if you're watching the product and if the guys are up there working making a dime Good for them. I hope they're putting on good shows. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So with that said, let's go to number eight. Uh, we're going to stay up up north. Our friends to the great white north up there. We're going to go to Calgary, Alberta, Canada to Stampede Wrestling. That was founded in 1948. It's now defunct, I guess, unless you consider Vince, I guess, may own it. But it was uh, owned by Stu Hart from 48 to 84. 
and then Vince, uh, I guess, bought it in 84, and it's went through some different changes since then, since 85 and, and 2007 and 2008. But uh, that was part of the uh, NWA back until uh, 1982, I think it was, and then they started working with the uh, World Wrestling Federation for the year of 1984 and 85. Um, it had several other names, though, but most of it, again, there is a big-time wrestling mentioned. It was Klondike Wrestling, it was Wildcat Wrestling, and it was big-time wrestling. But most knew it as, as uh, Stampede uh, Championship Professional Wrestling um, out of Calgary. And uh, it was also known uh, by Stu Hart, uh, you know, who originally founded it, uh, was owner of the dungeon and I've heard all kinds of horror stories about the dungeon. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not doubting how doubt doubting how tough the dungeon was, but also, you know, you hear the stories about if you let a guy get you in a hold first, <laughs> you're already at a big disadvantage. So, you know, I won't do any Stu Hart versions or, uh, of his voice or anything, but everyone knows the, uh, the legend of Stu Hart and the Hart uh, family there, how well-known they are and, and how many of them are stars and how many stars were made uh, that worked their way through Stampede uh, uh, Championship Wrestling there. Yeah, so. um, great technical training. I mean, everybody that came out of there was a hell of a technical wrestler. Um, but, uh, yeah, the stories of just hearing screams coming from Stu Hart's training room. Right. Yeah. <laughs> just, you know, you hear him, hey, I'm going to grab you and put you in this. And then the next thing you, know, you just hear screaming and yelling coming from down there. <laughs> yeah. yeah it's a legend. I mean, obviously, Bret Hart, Owen Hart, all those guys came through their dad's training. Um, you know, just a hell of a place. And, yeah, it was formed at the same time as the NWA. It was a loyal NWA member for 34 years. And then Vince McMahon, a lot of people think that he just like showed up in territories, but he also took in territories as subsidiaries of the WWE. He did the same in LA. He did this too with uh, Stampede where he's kind of like, you know, we'll run shows through your guys and your company and your territory and you guys work for me. So kind of yeah. like a, a mob boss kind of situation, you know, like you give me my cut and I'll send guys up to you and you'll be affiliated with us. So yeah. at first he almost started off as an NWA in a way where he was like, you know, sending champions and stuff up to other territories where they had a- agreed to basically kiss the ring of the WWF. Yeah. Yeah. Or Titan sports. It was as it was known at the yeah. time. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Having worked out in Canada, I didn't. I did not work for uh, Stampede. I know several people did. I worked out on the East Coast out there at the Maritimes, which got a, the uh, Atlantic Grand Prix or the Maritimes out in New Brunswick, California, or, uh, Canada. When I worked out there, a lot of the guys had been through Calgary and they had worked six months at Calgary, uh, where I was at. They worked four months. Because of the weather, they only did um, usually June, July, August, September. Sometimes they may start a little bit earlier in May. Sometimes they may go a little bit later into October. But it was a seasonal territory. So a lot of the guys came over there and worked. And um, uh, I do know from uh, hearing some of those stories that the uh, I guess the trips there weren't so easy to make. They were some brutal trips, uh, cold, you know, 12, 14 guys stuffed into a van, uh, traveling from town to town and um, sleeping on uh, just, you know, whenever they could, whenever they could, I guess. But I guess it was a pretty tough territory. And from what I, from what I under, 
understood, and from what I understand, the people that have told me that if you could make it in Calgary, you could you you could have made it anywhere or a stampede, if you will. And as you mentioned, there's been so many guys that came through that area um, that work there through the years. They tremendous amount of talent, and I think they really really worked hard there. Really stiff really hard really you couldn't see through the work and um, several guys from uh, Mexico several guys from uh, Japan Americans and and Canadians all several went through stampede uh, wrestling at one time or another so a very tough territory to work I don't know much about the money situation I would imagine they make some decent money uh, but I know that the travel is supposed to be some hellacious trips there. Oh, yeah. Well, you so, know, in, in Canada, we, we forget some of those edges in Canada get brutal winters. And they only have two seasons in Canada, August and winter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I heard some of those van rides. Van rides were very brutal, too. Bobby Fulton uh, was there. I don't know how long he was there for. He, he told a couple of stories about traveling and then Eddie Watts also I, I used to tell me some uh, crazy traveling stories where they say you know what pull the van over they'd be fighting out in the cold before they even got to the building it'd be two guys out there shooting on each other <laughs> trying to get things so okay then they can get to the building and actually work you know shit like that so I don't know maybe cold is not your best friend <laughs> no probably and long, not. And long travels in vans with uh, you know 12 or 13 other guys that you're trying to get along with they're not your best friends so uh, i like that though just like two two seasons august and winter (laughs) number seven is uh world-class championship wrestling wccw out of texas uh the dallas area was its major region but you know it it traveled around some so i've told the story before but i think i'll do it again now just to kind of set this up back in 2009 my wife and i lost a child uh, to a drug overdose and we were kind of, we were both out of work because the recession had just started. So we had nothing to do, but sit around and do nothing. So at one point I started telling my wife and I hadn't thought of the Von Erichs for years about the Von Erich family and some of the, the, you know, tragedies that that family had been through. So we, we both kind of developed a fondness for that family just because of, you know, it's that thing where, like, when you see, like, when you've got it bad and you see somebody who's had it worse, you can really, your heart really opens to that situation. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I do want to say back when I was, you know, younger, going into my teen years, and WCCW was syndicated and ESPN was picking it up, the Freebirds were there, Gary Hart was there, it handled betrayal was like the the heart of every story it was just like it it amped up the drama and the tension and the way the guys worked down there was stiff and nasty and it was just brutal and over the top and i loved every minute of it the the, <laughs> the freebirds versus the von erics was outstanding you know rick uh rick flair and his chicken shit way of holding on to the title versus carry all those times was just outstanding, and the constant backstabbing. You never knew who was going to turn on who next. Yeah. I, I was a huge Chris Adams fan, and then one day he just motherfucked the Von Erichs out of nowhere <laughs> and joined Gary Hart. And I remember just like just like weeks of just like, I can't believe Chris Adams did that. I just, what, <laughs> what is the world coming to where Chris Adams can betray the Von Erichs? 
they drew really, really good crowds. Yep. You've, you've talked about that before. Also, of course, they ran the Sportatorium. We'd done our special from there before. We talked about that. And the one thing I wanted to bring up was you was talking about uh, backstabbing was uh, when um, Chris Adams got, uh, I guess, got blinded by Gino. Yeah. And then when Gino actually passed away, sadly, oh, way gosh. too young and what a tremendous talent he was. I guess they actually investigated into seeing whether Gino had something to do with, uh, I guess, uh, Chris had to go back to England, I guess, or, or something to get away uh, from all the publicity that they was gathering. Uh, and I'm not fact-checking all this. I'm just going by, you know, watching the programming and thinking, they're investigating this heel, man, uh, you know, that uh, uh, blinded his partner, you know. So, oh, yeah. Uh, it, that's believable. And that makes good. That makes good professional wrestling, you know, when when it's believable. Oh yeah. Well, and one of the other things I like to bring up, you know, on top of let's just look at a couple of the other people who came out of there. Rick Rude, the Dingo Warrior, who'd be, go on to become the Ultimate Warrior, all came out of there. Look at how over the Von Erichs were in in their shows. You know, you go to a wrestling event now, and it's it's the Geek Squad from Best Buy filling up the audience. Yeah. You look at a Von Erich show, and it's like. 70% girls. Yeah. And that is just something that you don't see, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they were just like over. They were hometown heroes. They were superheroes. WCCW also did something that I'm not aware of it being done anywhere else. People gave a shit about the six-man tag titles. Where else yeah. has that happened? That, and I, I tell you what else I've heard, too, that, that uh, from just from working, and I know I mentioned this guy all the time, was Bobby Fulton. And Rip Rogers was the one that smartened me up to it, that Bobby got the idea from down in Dallas. They would apparently go out and do these shows with just, uh, you know, like eight eight men, maybe nine men, and a, and a, um, and a referee. It's like a 10-man crew, basically. But the first match was always called a captain's match. So if they wasn't doing, you know, the sportatorium and they had a spot show somewhere, they'd just take a small show with small crew with them. You put what two or three Von Erichs on a show, take a Chris Adams, and then take whoever, and they'd have a captain's match to start it off. And uh, Babyface would get screwed. He'd come back later on with a tag team partner, and they'd make a whole two-hour show, two-hour show just out of the four or five stars that they took on the road with them. And they might use someone from the local towns, you know, to work those those matches. And so they were drawing in small towns because of the power of the TV they had there and the reputation they had, plus the magazine coverage back then. They were always in the magazines. Yep. So they was drawn just with the smaller crews were drawing big houses at, at your local high school gyms and stuff, you know, instead of just the sportatorium or the uh, eventually what well, the big stadium, you know, so... Uh, them, those guys were just over. I saw the superheroes, you know. That's, yeah, uh, people believed, you know. Yeah, and it really, it really hit its golden age from like 1982 to 1986. I believe like 1982 towards the end of that year is when Michael P. S. Hayes slammed Kerry in the head with the cage door, and it just it kind of continued to grow. You know, they had a satellite deal. They were huge in Israel. They were, yeah, you was telling me that yeah. yeah. They were syndicated across the country. They were, you know, and, and like you were saying, they ran a small crew typically, you know, and apparently old Fritz was kind of tight with the money. So people, <laughs> people usually show up down there, have a cup of coffee and split, 
because that's about how much yeah. money you got out of the deal. You know, I've, you can go listen to Jim Cornette's show where he's right. like actually whipped out the, the check ledger to be like, you know, this night we made $8.15. Yeah. That's why I was going to refer you to, if you want to know the payoffs, listen to Cornette talk about it. Yeah. I guess they were there for a few weeks. Like you said, a cup of coffee and time to go. Uh, one thing that come to mind when you was talking about the uh, uh, free birds, uh, when he slammed his head into the, um, uh, the gate, uh, P.S., the the one picture that comes to mind, I still see this from time to time on my timeline, and you probably already know which one I'm talking about. And it's just the irony of it, I guess. You got Carrie with the milk carton, and you got P.S. Hayes um, uh, with the Jack Daniels bottle. Yeah. And they're standing. <laughs> and it's just it's, it, the irony of that is you got your all American boy, you know, drinking his milk with all his big muscles there and carry, my God, the modern day warrior, what a physique. He had one yeah. of the best that you can imagine. Then you had Michael P.S. Hayes, you know, and he's got his Jack Daniel bottle there. Yep. And so uh, that picture, just when I see that, every time I see it, I just kind of crack up at it like, man, how, just the irony of it, but also just, um, uh, just, just the believability of it at that yeah. time too, because that's what that's what was being portrayed. You oh, know? absolutely. Well, you know what? First, I, I got something to add to that. Before, before I do that, I better correct us. It was Bam Bam yeah. that slammed the door on Carrie's head. Okay. Mike, Michael was working as the ref, and Bam Bam slammed the door on him because okay. he, a year later, Fritz slammed the door on Bam Bam, and okay. then, and of course the crowd went wild. <laughs> you know, at one point, I don't remember which of the brothers or if it was more than one. They got busted in an airport with drugs on them. Uh, the Von Erichs. And yeah. on the show, they actually went as far as to say that Michael Hayes had planted drugs in their <laughs> luggage. <laughs> oh man! Yeah. And that's, <laughs> yeah. Well, that's uh, and then you can imagine some of the wild times those guys had, man. Uh, just doing stuff like that, but getting over like they did too. So, and I think uh, Kevin, he's contacted the show a couple of times. So maybe if he's listening, we'll give a shout out there to uh, Kevin Von Eric. Oh yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, you know, I got to make my jealous noise because in Hawaii, he, right? Well, he yeah, he's in Hawaii now. But you know, Kevin yeah. contacted Bobby, not the show. So this is this is my jealous noise. <laughs> okay, I got that out of my system now. <laughs> well, he put it over. How's that? Oh, You're no, he part did. Of the he he did show, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And so while we're talking about that, let me throw this out there. You come up with uh, the uh, P.S. and then the Bam Bam. Uh, Tex told me he felt like a little bit, uh, he didn't mind the shout-outs as much anymore for doing graphics. And uh, uh, said he was coming off one one night, I guess. I don't know. Take it for what it's worth. I just said congratulations on that. But uh, but you're the Buddy Jack, so don't worry about it. <laughs> so uh, Buddy Jack, uh, Tex Johnson out there. Uh, let's give our props to him for doing our graphics and keeping up the uh, YouTube page because he said he kind of felt like being Buddy Jack in the wings of uh, of uh, Jeremy and Bobby. So yeah, and and uh, the good news is there. If okay. any of us have to face um, Iceman King Parsons in a hair match, that means it's Tex and not us. There you go. That's right. There you go. So yeah, so that's getting over there. Um, Number seven, WCCW, World Class Championship Wrestling, man. That's pretty over. That's uh, one of the greatest territories of all time to work for, apparently. You know, at least in our list it is. So, And, again, this is our list, and it can be subject to change and objectified, subdivided, whatever you want to call it, man, because there's a lot of uh, places at the 
time, uh, at one point in time, I should say, you could go to and you would, uh, Jeremy's explained this before on the show, you know, you'd work somewhere four or six months, half a year. Uh, I know at six months, half a year, the same thing. I'm just saying you could work and then you could travel to if your if your act got stale or if you wasn't getting over, you'd go somewhere else. You may stay there for 18 months and get over over and perfect your gimmick and come back and and uh, work another two years back in a territory you had just left, you know, and, but you always had somewhere to go. And so uh, um, yeah, well, uh, that's a good thing about having territories we miss in professional wrestling. Yeah, and I think that's something that the WWE has learned since they shut down everybody around them is that if you don't have any place to draw or send talent, there, you got no place to go away, learn a new hold, and come back. You know what I mean? There's no, there's no trading talent. There's no, Hey, you know, this guy's not getting over here, but I think he'd do well there. There's no place for guys to practice. So what they end up doing is they split their own brands and start a tertiary promotion that they then pilfer their own talent back from and ruin when they put them on the main shows. So, and I, I saw this a few years back and I think it has, has changed a little bit. There was a time I kept seeing some cookie cut other wrestlers and that's not a dig towards anyone working for that company i'm just saying i would see so many guys doing some of the same things on the card and i'm thinking you know used to if someone had a finish you did not do that finish during during your match you know uh if someone done certain moves or a move sequence uh, i was seeing some of the same guys you know you had a lot of the, the same body types a lot of the same interview types a lot of the same you know move move sets and they've kind of gotten away from that now, and I'm glad because it did go through a period of that. But um, I think what's happened is they've taken some guys uh, that have worked over in Japan. We mentioned uh, Matt, I haven't mentioned it yet. I was going to mention, you know, there used to be places you'd go like you could still go to Japan. They got several offices over there. You got Mexico. You could still go there. Puerto Rico. I don't even want to yeah. talk about that. Fuck Puerto but, Rico. Uh, yeah, uh, some places in Canada. But you can go, and when the guy's getting these seven, eight, ten years in working somewhere else, when they do show up and, and they have someone to work with to show them something different. And that's when, when Vince was taking over. That's one of the good things he did have. The talent pool, as you mentioned earlier, when he went into, uh, I, I think, uh, when he started Stampede, you know, when he went in and he brought some of his guys in, you also had guys there, so he's working a different style. So you could say, hey, here's how, even though a headlock's a headlock, here's the way I make my headlock look, and I take you over this away, and, you know, we do a you know, switch and do it this away, and, oh, we do a high spot, you know, this away. Um, have you ever tried this? So you're getting a whole variety of uh, talent over that can do uh, many, many different things versus uh, the same thing every match that's out there. So it's always good when you can have guys that come in and have, you know, five, seven, ten years experience. Uh, the person that comes to mind for me is uh, Ted DiBiase uh, from uh, from Mid-South there going to, um, when he went to uh, WWF, you know, he had been in Georgia at one time, but when he came in up there, uh, 
you know, he just, he brought something different. You know, he was big, he was strong, and of course he had a gimmick, you know, that was different than Ted DiBiase. He was the million dollar man, but he had such a different moveset, but he got all that. Uh, one, you know, he come from a wrestling background, but also he got the wrestle guys like Duggan and, and, and JYD and, and had Watts as a boss and, and, you know, had all these different people to work with. And I think that's, that's what's kind of missing. And I know we went off a little bit of a tangent on that without trying to, but, um, you know, that's the thing about the, uh, uh, world, uh, class championship wrestling. So many guys was in and out there that was talented that could work and that did go on to do other, you know, work other places as well. So, yeah, absolutely. Uh, anyway, that's that. Um, anything else about number seven? No, it's just, I, I was always a fan, and then after what happened to my family, I became a bigger fan just because of, you know, life changes you. And, yeah. uh, you know, sometimes things that were kind of important in the past seem like bigger and better, you know, when you get closer to them or further away or however that works. But WCW... Had a warm spot in my heart when I was younger, and then because of things I went through in my life, has a warmer spot now. Uh, I'm sure nostalgia color glasses help, but I'll tell you what, besides the chance of the crowd, when I go back and watch a WCCW match, they're still thrilling to watch. Yeah, that's, yeah. I agree with that. Yeah. Always, always. Well, let's go to number six, and that is Georgia Championship Wrestling. And that was on WTBS. Uh, I know professional wrestling was one of uh, Ted Turner's early money makers when he was first getting into TV. Um, so he always said that he'd have professional wrestling on his programs. I read that in uh, from one of his books. It was uh, I read the Reader's Digest uh, version. Uh, but yeah, that was one of the first things that made money for uh, WTBS was the uh, uh, Georgia Championship Wrestling. Uh, I didn't know this, that Paul Jones had been an owner. I did look at that, but I knew Jim Barnett had been a part of it. I knew uh, Jack and uh, uh, Jerry Briscoe had been parts mm-hmm. of it. And then Ole, um, I knew he had a part of it at one time. And eventually, of course, uh, we keep going back to Vincent. Uh, uh, eventually, you know, took over part of it and eventually all of it, I guess. But uh, the best thing I can say, not the best thing, I can talk about it all day. Uh, one of the best thing I can say, of course, is uh, one Saturday evening, man, We we I was a junior in high school and uh, – we was and I've told this story before, but real briefly, man, I was waiting for a couple of my buddies to come pick me up, and um, I was going to be the where I lived that I was going to be the third one picked up, and my brother was sitting there watching TV, and uh, Georgia Championship Wrestling came on because we got this new superstation. Channel 17, the Superstation out of Atlanta, Georgia, and we was watching TV and. Uh, there was professional wrestling and like, what the heck? Oh man. And so all of a sudden my phone rang and, um, one of my buddies said, Hey man, we're going to watch this. We're turning on this channel. This is, you know, and it, it was time. It was actually channel six on our cable system. And, and I told my brother, I was like, you know, Oh man, you know, so they were going to come out at, you know, cause it's six Oh five. Uh, so, they wouldn't come out and pick me up and just, you know, probably 6.15, 6.30, whatever the time was. So anyway, they said, we'll see you after a show. Hung up. So my brothers and I, we, we sit there and watch it. And 
he goes, hey, man, you care if I turn the channel? Because he knew I was going to go out at, you know, 7 o'clock or whatever when, when that show up was over. And when that show was over, he got up to turn the channel, and boom, the music started again, and another hour. <laughs> hour was, number two. Hour number two, man. And my phone rang again. They said, hey, it's still on. It's still on. I know I didn't leave the house that night, you know, until two hours past the time we were going to go leave. We were going to go up to, like, Huntington, West Virginia, to the pub or somewhere, you know, uh, something we did back in the day. But, yeah, those first two hours, man. Then, of course, they had a complimentary show. It came out on Sunday evening as well. But, yeah, that's when Georgia Championship Wrestling, uh, all through the 70s and 80s, man, they just ruled. You had Gordon Soley on there, you know. I think uh, his sidekick was Freddie Brown sometimes uh, was on there. But, man, that uh, and the stars they had, you got to see. Uh, and, you know, the thing is, I don't know at that point um, – I, at my age, I guess I did uh, start to understand, you know, like it was easy to determine, you know, growing up on Memphis is one thing, but when you turn on TBS, you see these big stars and you like, you, you start to understand what squash matches are, even though I didn't know that's what it was back then. You know, us guys would get beat up, you know, it'd be some, uh, someone on there and then be one of the big stars. And then of course the, after that, they had interview time with, uh, you know, they got time to talk and get over. So it was just, uh, apparently the Georgia territory was a great territory to work, uh, again, the road trips, uh, from my understanding, you know, one of the ones, you know, if you lived in Atlanta area or Macon or, or, uh, uh, wherever you can get just about Birmingham's like an hour and a half one way. You can go to Rome, Georgia, 70 miles one way. You can go to Macon, Georgia, 75 another way. All the road trips, you know, you can be back home late that evening uh, after the show. So um, from my understanding, it was all making really, really good money. They eventually went up to, uh, they used to come through here to uh, Columbus, Ohio, uh, Huntington, West Virginia, Charleston, West Virginia, and those areas. Uh, they they bring, And they went up to Michigan a little bit, but after that, I don't know what happened um, uh, history-wise. I guess once they got that big on that, you know, they started going just what we talked about before in WCW as it got sold out to when Turner ended up buying them in 88 and they started branching out. They got too far away from, from their home base, if you will, uh, which we'll get into that another time. But basically, yeah. Georgia Championship Wrestling, just that company and uh I think they had a sister company too, as a championship wrestling from Georgia. So they uh, they had enough little towns to go to, man, where everyone can make a dime and uh, uh, be on TV. And and I guess you know, using Tommy Rich as an example, man, once you went on that Georgia championship wrestling and uh, your face was seen, you was over, you know. Because I've heard him tell a story about actually going out to uh, uh, work for Fritz, uh, uh, and it went back to. <laughs> I think he went to Watts and Fritz, and uh, he got like $150. Everyone in the world knew who he was. It's on one of the shoot interviews, but basically he told Barnett, he said, I'm not going back. And he said, why not? And he said, because he went all the way to like the Superdome. They had like $10,000 house or something. He got $150. <laughs> and he goes, because I could go down to Carrollton, Georgia, which is like 45 minutes from my house, and I can get $150. <laughs> 
in one night's work, you know, yeah. and be back home by 10 o'clock at night. You know, I don't need to go to uh, New Orleans or need to go to uh, Tech or Dallas or wherever. You <laughs> to stay right there in Georgia and make just as much money, you know, because like you mentioned, the uh, uh, watching of the wallet, if you will, uh, on some of those guys, some of those promoters, uh, Watts and uh, Fritz and all them. But yeah, I, I guess Georgia, you know, travel wasn't bad. You got to make some good money, you know, right there in Atlanta area. And plus you had TV every Saturday and, uh, they just, to me, that's a special place in my heart. And that comes in at, uh, the number six, Georgia championship wrestling throw. I, I talk too much about it. No, Jeremy. no, go no, no, because, well, because the pieces of Georgia championship wrestling will go and be picked up again and become part of another big entry in this list. But I, I do want to say that there is some speculation, mainly Roddy Piper once said that Jim Barnett was trying to go national with TBS. And that was in the late 70s as cable was beginning to spread through the country. They had GCW was on TBS and TBS was in like 35% of American homes at the time. So it upset other NWA promoters, regional promoters are like, you know, fuck, you're running NWA shows on everybody's TV on Saturday and Sunday. What are we supposed to do? And then, you know, Barnett's just like, oh, my boy, don't worry about it. We got (laughs) just our local guys and you got your guys over there. Yeah. Uh, so there was one day. Uh, well, what year was this, Bobby? 82? 83? I want to say it was 84. 84, that sounds right. So I'm doing some of this from memory right now. So everybody goes to turn on their Gordon Soley wrestling on Saturday. And there's yep. a, a, hi, everybody. I'm Vincent McMahon from up north, and I'm down here to show you why our wrestling is better. Yep. So. McMahon had misestimated on a few points. First off, uh, Connecticut Northeast Coast Wrestling used cartoon characters and squash matches, which was not what Southern viewers wanted to see. Southern viewers wanted to see athletic competitive matches. Also, he wasn't familiar with the term carpetbagger, apparently, which is where somebody from the north went to the south during Reconstruction and got rich on the backs of southern workers who were just coming out of a crushing civil war. Um, and so they weren't liking the idea of a Yankee coming down there telling them why their wrestling was shitty. So he overreached in two severe ways, which led to something we'll bring up a little bit later. But that was Black Saturday was the first yeah. day. The McMahon showed up on TBS. Now, uh, and, I'm going to go with Mark mm-hmm. saying I, I don't think it was 82 or 83 because I want to say when that happened um, in 84, I was I was in front of a TV and I was in college and and I saw that happen. That's why I'm going I'm going to fact check it, but just take me from my memory on it. I must say it happened on a Saturday in 1984. No, I think you're right. I think that that does stand out. And I believe what happened was <clears throat> the Briscoes and Barnett took a deal from McMahon and sold them him controlling interest in Georgia Championship Wrestling. If is what I kind of remember, which is going to set the stage for something that happens later. But I believe yeah. that's how McMahon was able to get controlling interest in a company. And almost immediately, TBS, Ole Anderson, everybody else realized that it was not going to work because you can't have carpetbaggers and scallywags running pro wrestling in Georgia. Yeah, yeah. So, anyway, 
Championship Wrestling, Georgia Championship Wrestling, comes in at number six. And I do think Vince did try to take over in 84. And, again, we'll have some more details on some more of that here in just a little bit uh, because it does tie into some other stories. With that said, Jeremy, how about we do two things? Let me give us a rundown of the uh, number 10 through 6 spots before we hit our top five. And you plug the books one more time. How's that? That sounds like a great idea. Episode 26, we're at the Greensboro Coliseum. I don't even think we talked too much about that, by the way. We jumped right into it. Uh, that was the granddaddy, uh, Starcade, the granddaddy of all the uh, big wrestling events took place there. But uh, going back to number 10 of the greatest uh, territory to work back in the day, Smoky Mountain Wrestling. Number nine, Portland. Number eight was Stampede. Number seven was WCCW, World Championship Wrestling, uh, based out of Dallas. And then Georgia Championship Wrestling, based out of Atlanta, Georgia. And then we're going to get into our top five as soon as Jeremy gives us a rundown on how to best sponsor this show. And we do need some sponsorships out there because it's just, it's just so much better. It makes things so much more relaxed when you have just that little bit of cushion to help with our uh, hosting fees and and you know no one's trying to get rich off of you guys we're just you know letting you know hey just give us a little bit and we'll give you a whole lot back in return absolutely so everybody i do want you to remember you can buy bobby's books well he's got more than two on amazon now but the two main ones we talk about are pin me pay me the no pin me pay me have Boots Will Travel, which you can get by going to tinyurl.com slash blazebook1, or I kicked out onto the Education of Wrestler, which you can go to by going to tinyurl.com slash blazebook2. It just takes you to a page on Amazon. It doesn't cost you anything. It's nothing extra. It just helps us out. And if you buy something else while you're there after taking that link, I think we get a little piece of that as well. Um that being said, if you do have a company that w- would appeal to pro wrestling fans, classic pro wrestling fans, pop culture fans, uh, wrestling guys like us, who do, or a, a wrestling guy like Bobby who likes to bullshit with a wrestling fan like myself, reach out to us, let us know. We would like to bring on a couple small sponsors, you know, responsible products who actually have something to offer our listeners, but we would like to form a couple business relationships going forward just to kind of help buffer some of the uh, costs in, incurred in doing this show. I did have to take about a 50% pay cut this year, so what used to be a no-brainer for me hosting a show became a little more, you know, a little more of a, I have to now remember I spend money every month doing this, and I would like to start advertising the show more as well. So if you do have a product you think would appeal to our listeners, please reach out to us. Uh, You can find us on Twitter. uh, You can find us on Facebook. You can email me at jvilmer at gmail.com, and I will get back to you as soon as possible. So, Bobby, shall we go forward? Well, I was just going to say, we also have that GoFundMe out there. We're only $150 short on it. If you could send out uh, anything, you know, $5, $10 here or there, that's great. If you send out $20 or more, I'll make sure you get a book or a T-shirt sent to you. Um, and also take in consideration that money, the $20 hosting fee is always trying to do is try to make it for 18 months. Here we are at episode 26, and I think we're doing pretty damn good. I just wanted to point out that um, – with Jeremy, you know, not even mentioning really necessarily that he had to take a pay cut. The bottom line is Jeremy 
directs this program, he produces this program, he edits this program, and he does it on his time and his dime. So uh, please, you know, take that in consideration and, uh, and and make a donation. You know, get a hold of Jeremy, uh, get a hold of me on Twitter, um, you know, or hit us up at our joint account at Bell to Bell Blaze, and uh, or make a donation to our GoFundMe. And uh, just like I mentioned at the top of the hour, uh, William Harding, you know, kind of paid it forward with me. He had some IT uh, specialty work, I guess, if you will. That's what he was into. He had a laptop, laid around, rebuilt some things. Just the kindness of his heart. So, you know, that's the thing about Jeremy and myself. We've also paid it forward for other people. And uh, that's just the way the world works, kind of. If you believe in anything in karma and believe in anything in good, uh, it'll come back to you. Not that you're, not that we're looking for anything good to come back to us when we do pay it forward, but it seems like every time we do something nice for other people, it does come back to you tenfold. And uh, this is a great time of year. Uh, I'm not going to be out here begging and, and, and asking people for money, but you know, this is just a great time of year for giving. Um, and, and we have already given thanks and, and with Christmas coming up, you know, just, um, Think about some other things. You're getting this podcast for free. And uh, if you're looking for, you know, we're looking for advertisers. We're looking for donations. We're looking for just keeping our show going and having a good time, man. That's that's really what I want to say. Yeah, absolutely. And, Bobby, thank you for throwing that out there. I do, I do want to also say that William, you know, William Harding, Thank you very much for hooking Bobby up. Uh, I do appreciate it very much. We are all going to have to get together and hang out at some point. Um you know, and I, I would send uh, William money on his uh, GoFundMe, but it just turned into us trading twenty five dollars back and forth. <laughs> you know? Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. That gets eaten up in fees after about the nineteenth time. So. You know. <laughs> okay, well let's move forward to number five. How about that? That sounds fantastic. We're going to go with uh, C W F. That's Championship Wrestling from Florida. And they were based out of Tampa, Florida. And I'm going to let you talk a little bit about it, and then I'll tell you a little bit about what I know about it, if that's okay. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, you're going to know a little bit better, a little bit more about it. So I'm going to list off some names. You tell me if any of these sound familiar to you. Luthez, Gene Kanensky, <laughs> Don Curtis, Sam Steamboat, The Great Malenko, Johnny Valentine, Hiro Matsuda, Bob Orton, Bob Orton Jr., Joe Scarpa, Chief J. Strongbow, Wahoo McDaniel, Terry and Dory Funk Jr., The Briscoes, Buddy Colt, Dusty Rhodes, Barry Windham, Mike Rotunda, Mike Graham, Kevin Sullivan. <laughs> All came through CWF. That is literally a who's who of pro fucking wrestling. Uh, you, <laughs> you know, you could list half those names and you've got wrestling royalty. So... A lot of talent went through there. CWF did not reach as far as my home base, so I did, you know, did not see a lot of the programming. I believe it is available to, for you to find out there in the in the uh, Wild West now. But it was a who's who of pro wrestling. You can only imagine if that was the wrestling talent, what the booking and everything else must have been like. Yeah, the the championship press from Florida, like you said, to me, it's a who's who. It seemed like everyone that was anyone in professional wrestling uh, went through, you know, champ, uh, Florida championship wrestling or championship wrestling from Florida. I was I wasn't lucky enough uh, growing up to see a lot of it. Um, 
we didn't get it every once in a while on the uh, Georgia Championship Wrestling that we just mentioned. They would show, because Gordon Soley also did the voice down uh, in Florida, um, they would show something that may have happened, you know, a title change uh, or or something that was taking place. Again, it's, it's, uh, uh, based out of Tampa, they were, um, you know, he mentioned Eddie Graham, Hero Matsuda. I mean, it's just uh, they had tremendous talent that came and worked through there. And the main thing, I guess, is the brilliance, and it's all you hear about, is the brilliance of uh, Eddie Graham. Um, you know, and he, just his booking, the way he did it. Also, I guess the travel, um, you know, you could, you would do Tampa on a Tuesday night, and uh, heck, I used to know the schedule. I'm drawing a blank on Orlando was Sundays, I know that. Miami was maybe a Saturday show. But anyway, nonetheless, you could People loved working at territory because apparently the money was pretty good, the weather was excellent, and also uh, the travel, you know, you might do five hours down to Miami from Tampa, and then some guys even took, uh, you know, a plane, and, you know, to be back home in 45 minutes after the matches and stuff. So, uh, and then the booking, they just took so many, The not just because, I guess, Eddie Graham, uh, book that he also guys like kevin sullivan and dusty Rhodes, uh they took so much from graham as well that kept that led on to other great territories opening up uh just from their knowledge that they took away from the way florida had been booked uh, i hope i'm saying that right the um and like you said there's and the so many uh, title changes through there, Dory and Terry Funk and uh, 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 Thez and um, shit, uh, uh, Harley Race. And, of course, my trainer, Greg Malenko, come through there. Him and, uh, him and Eddie Grant had a tremendous, tremendous uh, Drew Money uh, back in the day. Uh, they worked uh, on Tampa at the, uh, I think it's the uh, uh, Helmsley uh, uh, National Armory. Now it's a... Uh, uh, if I'm not mistaken, it's a, a, a Jewish community center, and they've got a, a Hall of Fame wall down there that has a list of all the wrestlers that uh, performed there back in the day. And I know one of the stories that Malenko told me, and I just want to share it with you, and again, there's so many different things you can go to. Um, uh, one thing I was going to say is when I got down to train, um, I realized growing up on Memphis wrestling how many talented guys I had seen come through there but when I got to Tampa and started training and stuff uh, guys actually had some you know VHS tapes and I got to go back and look at and watch some of those so it wasn't until I was a little bit older before I actually got to watch um, some of the championship wrestling in Florida and that's when I knew and now I know of course for sure how many of the top talented guys that came through that area uh, of wrestling back in the day Back to the one story I wanted to say, and I know Malenka told me this. Before his match with Eddie Graham, he had, he had pranced around the ring, if you will, or what have you, and he took his false teeth out and set them at the edge of the ring. And what he did, Eddie Graham stomped them and smashed his feet, uh, smashed his teeth out uh, that was sitting on the apron. And I guess they had drawn about 2,000 people at the time, and Malenko said, like, next week, you know, of course, he went on and done the interview uh, without his teeth in. And, you know, what kind of man would, you know, what kind of baby face would, would crush a man's teeth and, and do this and break his false teeth. And 
you know, do the whole program. But anyway, the next week, of course, they drew like 4,000 people, like double the house, man, because they wanted to see that, you know, that battle. And uh, you can go out and check it out. I'm sure it's out there somewhere. You can also fact check it if you want. I'm just going by hearsay of what, you know, what I heard. And then, of course, Malenko come out with a bust of himself, you know, tell him, you know, he is the professor, he's the great one. Um, just all those different things. And then we've talked before about uh, Kevin Sullivan and his influence on Florida, uh, what, back in Malenko that carried the company pretty much in the 70s, him and Graham, then later on, uh, uh, Gra- uh, shoot, uh, Dusty and uh, uh, Sullivan carrying on her back through the uh, early 80s there. So uh, just a lot of good people came through uh, championship rest from Florida. My understanding, one of the great, great, uh, even though we got a number five, one of the great offices uh, to work for uh, due to the money, due to the travel, and um, due to the talent you had to work with. And all the guys that broke in there, there's a lot, a lot of guys that broke in in Tampa uh, in, in, in championship wrestling in Florida. Yeah, no, it's it, the only, I, I would like to know more about it. It's just geographically, I wasn't any, it's literally the other side of the country. So I missed out on a lot of it, but I mean, you can tell that this is probably where Dusty cut his teeth as a booker. It's probably where Kevin yeah. Sullivan did the same. It, you know, it's just a lot of great talent that he yeah. come through there. And that's, that's, me. that's why I say I got the, every once in a while Georgia Championship Wrestling, they would show a little clip or something of something that may have happened in Miami or it may have happened in Tampa or something. And, it, of course, it wouldn't be a full match. But then also it wasn't until I was down there and got the train and actually see some VHS tapes when I was a little bit older before I got to watch it. But, yeah, I, I'm a little bit uh, jealous of all those guys that got to grow up watching that as fans. Um, if you listen to the 605, several of those guys live, lived in Florida and watched that growing up around it, and you hear some of their stories sometimes. And uh, I get a little envious of that sometimes thinking about, man, uh, you know, it's, it's a pretty good, you know, Tampa from my home is like 1,500 miles, so I can't just drive down there and watch a show either back in the day. So I might as well be, you know, all the way across the other side of the country for me too, Jeremy. I'm just saying, man, it would have been great just seeing all the performers that came through there, seeing those weekly shows if you lived in one of those towns. Uh, I did have the pleasure of going to the Eddie Graham Sports Complex on Sunday evenings uh, several times while I was training and watched some matches, and I eventually got to work on a Tuesday night several uh, I don't know, two or three months there. Back in 92, I think it was, yeah, 92, I got to work about three months on Tuesday nights at the old Sportatorium in Tampa. Uh, and I got that I got that honor or privilege of doing that. So uh, I did get to be a small part of something. Uh, I used to go to the tapings when I was down there training with Sean and, and so many other guys just to have something to do, you know, on a Tuesday night because we're wrestling fans, you know. Yep. So, uh, um, I, and I eventually got to work there a little bit. And I always, to me, that, that has a little bit of prestige to it. But also, like you said, I think the biggest thing that we take away from all of it is, number one, all the talent that came through there. Number two, that, as you mentioned, uh, Dusty and Kevin probably took a whole lot of their booking ideas and, and the genius of Eddie Graham and, and put that out there. It paid off in other territories as well eventually. So, like you say, kind of cut their teeth there and then took it out to, to other places. So that was uh, number five, championship wrestling from Florida. All right. And as usual, we've done it to ourselves again. I need to start wrapping this thing up, and we still got four more spots to go here. That sounds good. That sounds good. Do you want to do that, or you want to do it in two, two uh 
two different separate pieces. Well, you know what? We could probably stretch the top four to an hour, huh? <laughs> we probably could. Uh, next week we will be doing our top four spots of our greatest, <laughs> our greatest promotions from back in the day. Um, Bobby, you know, I, I thought we could do this, but the more I realize the more as we get into ones we like, we're going to just, we're going to run on and we're better off. Let's take the time and cover this right. And we'll do this in two episodes. And everybody listening can hear how we came to that decision. It was our plan to do this as one, but we're going to push this out to two. So you will get another episode to finish off this list next week. How does that sound, Bobby? Uh, I, you said what I was trying to say. Yeah. Once again, <laughs> you're the man with the words. Well, you're you're That's a, a writer. Plan. Yeah, you're a writer. I'm a talker. That's how that breaks down. Okay. <laughs> well, I, I, I think that's, I think that's a great idea. I really do. Yeah. You know what I really like about that? It was your idea and I took credit for it. <laughs> well, pat yourself on the back. Exactly. My old Barry Horowitz <laughs> shirt here. There you go. There you go. All right. Well, Bobby, thank you for, uh, for, you know, uh, being free to record with me today. Uh, I, I got to give another shout out to, you know, William. Thank you for making it possible. Because I was going to have to just mail Bobby some quarters and have him call from a payphone, and you got better luck of getting polio than you do a payphone these days. <laughs> oh Lord, yeah. yeah. So yeah, no, I'm glad we got this much recorded, and we'll pick up and we'll start and um, give you our top four territories of the greatest top ten territories to work back in the day. So we hope you've enjoyed numbers 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, and leave it at that. Yep, that's and that's all you're getting. So, uh, you know, again, thank you, everybody, for listening. Bobby, thank you for being here. William, thanks for your help. And for Bobby Blaze and myself, bye-bye, everybody. Thanks for listening to Bell to Bell with Bobby Blaze. You can follow the show on Twitter at Bell to Bell Blaze. You can also follow Bobby on Twitter at BobbyBlaze744 and Jeremy on Twitter at TheGeekishCast. To purchase one of Bobby's books, you can visit tinyurl.com slash blazebook1 to purchase Pin Me, Pay Me, Have Boots, Will Travel. And you can visit tinyurl.com slash blazebook2 to get I Kicked Out on 2, The Education of a Wrestler. To donate to the show's podcast hosting fees, you can visit gofundme.com slash bell-to-bell podcast hosting fees. Be sure to include a hyphen in every word in bell-to-bell podcast hosting fees. If you follow and listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, please leave a five-star review. Be sure to share the show with any wrestling fan you may know and get on the Facebook page where you can keep up with Bell to Bell fans just like you. Again, thanks for listening to the program and look for the show again next time.